0: be ba light shines to the darkness. Lord, you came to the world to save us. As we turn to your word, we ask that that saving word would speak to us today. Lord, let your spirit show us what you have. Fill us with knowledge and wisdom for what we hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen.
1: Well, good morning and uh, happy new year to everybody again. This week, we're going to go back to our study in the book of Acts. You know, again, as we looked at the first Sunday of the year, last Sunday, and we looked out at John where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said, this is my commandment that you love one another. Love requires us to talk and speak and become involved in other people's lives. We can do many, many things, but we want to do what Jesus said to do. You can be a great civic leader. You can be a great humanitarian. You can, you can be a, against animal testing. You should be. They don't get the answers right anyway, but that's another point. The thought is, is that you can do many things, but you want to do what God says to do, and that's to love one another. And love requires us to take interest in one another. And in a world that is so self-centered, with our little iPhones and iPads and all those kinds of things, we really sometimes find ourselves not even aware of people around us because we are in our own little world. And I believe God wants to expand our horizons, especially in this new year, because you're going to come in contact with people who desperately need the Lord. Remember, God's the only known cure for death in this world. And that's why I like to spend so much time on it, because we don't know when that day will come for us. And we don't know when that day will come for those that we love. Remember, death doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you. And it also affects when your loved ones die, how it affects others and yourself as well. So this morning, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts chapter 12. Acts 12. And we're going to continue our study looking at how the Lord used the early church to establish his doctrine through the world. Now we remember last time we were together we remember that uh, the holy spirit came upon the gentiles and at that point they realized gentiles could be saved as well i think it's amazing to me you're halfway through the book of acts before they even realized that jesus was for everybody but he is And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, let's read them together. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, thank you for your word. We ask you that you would speak to us. Give us your wisdom and your knowledge. And Lord, most of all, that your Holy Spirit would come, cause us to remember these things. And we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we remember it says that about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. This is, um, remember the Herod that killed all the little babies? Joseph being warned in a dream, took the baby Jesus, Mary, and made it down to Egypt out of the jurisdiction of Herod. Well, that was, this guy is, uh, uh, that was uh, Herod Agrippa. Then we have Herod the first, and then we have Herod the second, which is this guy. This, so in other words, it was his grandson, um, uh, Herod Agrippa's grandson, that decided to start persecuting Christians. And as we read here, you'll see that he did it to please the crowd. Now, we remember that Paul, earlier Saul, before the Lord changed him on the road to Damascus, he he was persecuting Christians, but he was doing it out of religious zeal. He thought he was doing God a favor until God straightened him out. But Herod was doing it to please the crowds. Always be careful of pleasing crowds. Crowds are fickle. They'll applaud you one minute and throw stones at you the next. That's why we never play to the crowd. That's why moms and dads, you need to teach your kids never play to the crowd. Because if you do, they're always going to be disappointed. People are unstable. And when we do things to gain the applause, the adoration of those around us, friends, remember, that can turn on you as quick as, as what they're uh, expecting you to do and put everybody else down. They can put you down the same way. So we need to be very, very careful. It's not what the crowds think of you. And by the way, we hear a lot today about self-esteem. Well, it isn't what you think about yourself anyway. It's what God thinks about you. How does, what, how does God see you? And you know, the reason I believe that's so important is when we realize how much God loves us, God sees me as his beloved child and you too. In fact, the Bible says he sees us as his bride. And I I think if we lose track of that, we can become prey to all kinds of things because there is something within us that wants to be recognized. There's something in us that wants to be patted on the back and say, "Man, you're doing a good job." You ever notice with your kids and and, and they're building something? Uh, you know, they're they're putting together Legos or or whatever it might be, and and they make something and you pat them on the back and you say, "Boy, that's really good." Man, they just shine, and then they just want to do more. Isn't that amazing? Criticism, I have found causes me rarely to want to do anything other than get away, get away from the person that's criticizing me. If you notice that, that's a good uh, secret for, for marriages. Um, Again, if all that ever comes out of your mouth is what your spouse is doing wrong, you're going to find your spouse motivated to get away from you. But you know, if you do, as the Bible says, recognize what they do well, and then say, honey, by the way, uh, blah, 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 whatever it might be, it's going to be much better received than, you don't do anything right. Well, again, that motivates people, motivates people to go far away from that individual. Well, Herod was wanting to please the crowd, and uh, again, politicians usually do that. And we have to be very careful in those things. I always say about uh, about um, July, August, you'll see politicians out buying votes. Par- promising the world, really delivering nothing. Uh, but we've got to be aware of the world we're in today. And we want to be careful that we don't become the same way. And notice it says here, he reached out his hand, To harass the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James and John, the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, the Bible says. Well, James and John, interesting, they were very outspoken people. And I suppose that probably James was arrested because he was outspoken. We remember in the Bible that all the way through the Bible, people who love God would speak out against things that were wrong. Whether it was the government when, when Elijah cited uh, uh, Ahab and Jezebel over their Baal worship and challenged the prophets of Baal to a duel. Or whether whether uh, it was John the Baptist saying, Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. All the way through the Bible, you'll find people who love God would stand up to things that were wrong. I've oftentimes heard people say, well, you know, you Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. I go, what Bible are you reading? All the way through the Bible, everybody said something. We remember... Isaiah, Jeremiah was always in stocks and bonds, and I don't mean in the stock market. He was in stocks and bonds because he criticized the way the king was running the nation in an ungodly fashion. So the idea that we as Christians are to be the silent minority or the silent majority is wrong. God has given us the right and wrong from his word to let your light shine. See, the Bible says in the last days, uh, they'll say what is evil is good and good is evil. I've often wondered about this earlier in my life. I've been a Christian a long time. Why wasn't anybody saying when things were evil, they, that's evil. It's because we've been trained, taught and, and suppressed to not say what we know is right or wrong. And so when understanding all is necessary for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing, good people have been doing nothing for so long, it's now normal. So we then have to go back. What does God want us to do? Herod was killing people to impress them of, of, uh, 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 you know, to get in popular opinion. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, then he proceeded to seize Peter also. And now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So it was during the festivals. They seized Peter. Evidently, Peter was not hiding out. He probably was very, uh, very much in the public eye. And so he, he was captured. He was apprehended and put into prison. And delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Now this is interesting. His intention was to kill Peter. He saw the applause that he got when he killed James, one of the twelve disciples. And by the way here, we don't find any attempt by the other disciples to replace James as they did when uh, Judas Iscariot uh, betrayed the Lord. And they drew straws and the lot fell upon Matthias, if you remember back in the first part of the book of Acts. Well, here we find no attempt to replace him. Why? Because the doctrine was already established. Now, uh, really quick. I, I believe that the Bible, as it says, first God is put in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. I, I believe that uh, people go, well, our, our pastor is an apostle. No, he's not. Sorry. He's not one of the original 12. He wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. I believe that really the apostles that the Bible speaks of, that was speaking of not only what Jesus taught, but the apostles who were around Jesus set the doctrine for the church. And many of you wonder, maybe, perhaps, where do we get the ideas that we have for Christianity today in the church? Jesus taught about it. We find the apostles practicing it. And then we as well do it. Now, Jesus taught, as an example, during uh, uh, communion, as an example, the first communion, that Jesus broke the bread and he passed around the cup. But before he did that, he washed the disciples' feet. Now, the thing is, but we don't find that practiced in the book of Acts and in the other churches. Yes, they were breaking bread. We find this in Acts, or excuse me, uh, first Corinthians chapter 11, where they had the bread and the cup, but no mention of feet washing. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with a feet washing ceremony. If we had a feet washing ceremony here next Sunday, which we're not, you'd find the cleanest feet in the world. Nicely manicured little toenails, all your little toes in a row. That's a good thing. But here's the point. The point was, in those days, as people would walk, the roads were dirty. Your feet would become literally encrustrated with sweat and, and dirt. And so it was customary that when somebody came in to your house, that they you would wash their feet or you'd have a basin there where they could wash their feet to wash the filth off so you didn't track it into the house. That was the idea of it. But it was a job for a servant, not for the person who generally was in the house. And so when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, Peter objected. He said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Peter said, and Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. In other words, if you don't humble yourself enough to let me wash your feet, you don't understand what it means if you want to be great in God's kingdom if you want to learn how to love one another be a servant because servitude is what God sees and what God rewards now we all recognize that and and I mean we we people in the world even have a concept of this idea of serving one another. To bless one another. Do something for somebody else that either they wouldn't normally do for themselves. Or can't do for themselves. I believe that's really important. Because we see the need. Now again, remember this. If you're a Christian here this morning. And I, I pray that all of you are. If you're not, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to pray and ask the Lord into your life. And you'll see why because we're not just human beings but we are actually vessels that contain the Holy Spirit and people talk about this now it, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit well I've been in Pentecostal churches where they spin around and jump on chandeliers and knock over rose is that what the Holy Spirit does to you no I, I think a lot of emotion does that and you'll find that in a football game too don't you but that doesn't mean that that's of God. But what the Holy Spirit does in us is give us a love for the loss, a love, a supernatural love for God, and boldness to speak his word. So God has you as an individual that loves him. He puts his spirit in you to recognize those needs in other people. So you may minister to them. In other words, when God shows you needs, it's because he loves you and wants to reach out to that individual so that it would be as if Jesus himself was there. You become the hands, the feet of the Lord. And I, I like that about God. We've talked about this many times. Why was a God of God is such a miracles in the Bible? Today we don't see miracles because people don't live close enough to the Lord to need a miracle. We have to go outside of our comfort zone to need the inspiration of God in a supernatural way so that God will manifest his spirit through us. And that happens when we respond to the needs of others. Now, again, I can't help everybody. You can't help everybody. But we can help the ones that God brings into our path that we see the need. And God gives us the formula, you might say, to help them, advance them in their relationship with God, and take away some of the pain in the world. You know, the world's got a lot of pain in it. Have you noticed that? Have you experienced that? You know, I think sometimes people say, well, I'm a Christian, and I don't know why, i got to experience pain. I've asked this question of God myself. And you know what God tells me? It's so you don't forget where everybody else is out. You know, sometimes when you get it all your way, you can become spoiled. you ever been around a kid that got everything he ever wanted? Never heard the word no in his life? You can't be around those kids because they're spoiled rotten. I want this and I want that. They're not thankful for what they have. They're not thankful for what they're going to get. I want, I want, I want. And I want you gone, you know I mean that's where we get, but the point is is that is it that, that that's what happens and and so i I realize we have to be very, very careful, and when we see the needs in other people's lives, this is how we love one another and how we reach out to one another, not to be a person that's a crowd pleaser but rather a person that, as Jesus would, bless that person and so he says here. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. And he was kept in prison until after the Passover. A lot of people wonder why after the Passover. Many people believe it was so that the attention would move from God, the Passover, to himself. In other words, the Passover was over, so now the focus will go back to me as I execute Peter. And so he says... So he apprehended him, put him in prison. Peter, therefore, was in prison, uh, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Why was that? Because they know what just happened to James. And I believe not only what just happened to James, but I can just see them praying for Peter. Imagine being in a little Bible study, and they're all together praying for each other. Lord, we pray you deliver Peter, because they just killed James. And after Peter, we're all next. Because the government was coming down on him pretty hard. Well, notice it says that um, he was delivered to four squads Of soldiers to keep him. Why? You know, whenever I see something that's kind of weird in the Bible, I like to ask that question. Well, if we go back earlier in the book of Acts, you remember he was arrested before with John. And an angel in the middle of the night came and set him and got him out of prison. Herod goes, I'm not going to let that happen again. No, this time we're going to get four squads. So we don't know how many exactly were in a squad. Some people put it at four or more. But there was a gang keeping Peter in prison. Now, not only that, but it says that uh, delivered him. We'll read on where it says he was actually handcuffed. I mean, they had this guy. They were going to execute him. They were going to make a public example out of him. But everybody prayed. And friends, never as a Christian underestimate the power of prayer. Now, I believe again, when you pray in the will of Jesus, anything you ask, as we studied last Sunday morning, will be given unto you. I find a lot of the prayers, in fact, the book of James, the one of the disciples of Jesus, said... The reason our prayers aren't answered is because we want to consume the answer based on our fleshly lust. In other words, God, give me this, this thing or whatever it is and, and, and it's gonna, look what it's gonna do for me. But God says when you pray for one another, God does amazing things. And so it says here, Peter was kept in prison, but constant prayers were offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping. Oh, do you see something here? Notice it says Peter was up all night, biting his nails. And no, it says he was sleeping. Isn't it amazing? God gives sleep to those that he loves. Psalms says that. That God gives sleep to those that he loves. You know, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, I, I just want to invite you just give it to God. Whatever it is, the angst you got going on, just give it to God. You know, you know. You, you, well, you know, I got my bottle of sleepies. You know, whatever it might be. But I'm, the point is, God wants to calm your heart. And those things, when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, and those things are running through your mind, and the uh, the, the what ifs. You ever run into the what ifs? I'll tell you, there's two things that'll keep you awake at night, and that's the wish a would and the what-ifs. The wish a would or are, I wish I would've done this, I wish I would've done that, we all sound like a bunch of broken washing machines. Wish-a-would've, wish-a-would've, wish a would wish-a-would've. And we, and, and you know what that tells me? That tells me that we're living our life in regret. If if you kept keep saying I wish I would have married such and such or I wish I'd never married this person I wish I would have wish I would have wish I would have where do you want to stop? None of those things matter because where it's at right now is you today here. That's what matters. The wish I would have, Jesus died for. You got to separate yourself from your past. We talked about that last week. How your your sins. Your past becomes part of you. And this is one of the great problems that we find in our world today is people can't get free from their past. So what do you got to do? I got to get loaded, man. I got to get stoned. It's beer 30. I got to get my buzz on. Well, why is that? Because I don't like me very much because of the wish of would in my life. And so now if I can just modify myself, I can live with myself. Think about it a minute. We treat symptoms, but rarely do we ever treat the problem. Well, the problem is you're where you're at today. Yesterday is gone, and tomorrow and today belong to the Lord if you're a Christian. So God then fixes the things of our past. Now, this is one of the great things about God. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion of the world. Every other religion in the world, you're trying to get in the favor of God by burning incense, wearing uh, orange, selling flowers in the airport, going door to door, giving all your money, jumping through the mantras of the church, all these different things. To get where Christianity, God says, I love you, you're my child, and I'm bigger than your past. You need to know that. God can fix Things that are wrong. I grew up in my home when I was a child. And I'll tell you how important it is. And for you dads, listen. The father image that you portray to your children is the way I believe many people will look at their relationship with their heavenly father. I think this is why the devil attacks the father image so bad. You've heard me harp on this over and over again, whether it's television, whatever it is, dads are the stupidest people in the world. You know, you go back early 60s, father knows best, my three sons, Andy Griffith Show, dad always had the right answer, not anymore Dad's the stupid idiot in the room. The 13-year-old kid knows way more than Dad does. Don't believe me? The next time you watch a sitcom, watch at the attack. Now, I look at this because, again, to destroy the Father image is so important. Because that's how Jesus wants us to relate to God. Our Father, which art in heaven. Wow, that's kind of interesting. You you, you you mean you're not some unknowable, unknowable God beyond the stars and the cosmos and the cloud that's hard to get to know, that somehow we have to appease you by burning incense, wearing orange, doing all those things? God just says, I love you as my child. And he's bigger than the things I've done wrong. So that means I have somebody that will come and fix me. Do you realize something? I don't know if many of you know this. I know most of us are trying to forget. Your house needs maintenance. Your car needs maintenance. Everything you own needs maintenance. by the way, you don't own anything. You are simply a caretaker of what you've been entrusted with. I read a story about an anvil. And they go, nobody owns an anvil. You're just a caretaker because it'll be around a lot longer than you will be. You ever see those things, the blacksmiths would hammer on? They weigh sometimes 300 pounds, 150 pounds. No, when you die, when you die, it'll go to somebody else. You don't own it. But the fact of the matter is, we don't own anything and everything we own needs maintenance. Did you ever think you do too? And if you're not a Christian here this morning, who is Maintenancing, taking care, repairing you. Do you know those things that people say to you that hurt and cut you deep? Those things leave a mark. And all those things that accumulate in our lives become part of this. And I believe this is why God in his love says, Hey, I want to set you free from your past. Because if you're not free from your past... You drag it with you and it affects everything you look at. Well, no, no, no. I did that once before. I'm not doing that again. Well, yeah, it's good to learn from mistakes. But the problem is oftentimes we don't remember or understand how we got in that mess in the first place. We rely on our own wit, cunning, and craftiness rather than God by simply praying. Okay, so he says... Herod was about to bring him out. Peter was sleeping. I like that. Sleeping in the midst of a lion's mouth. Wow. If you have trouble sleeping at night, give it to God. He's bigger than the things you've done wrong. Bound him with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Man, they had a garrison on this guy. We're going to kill Peter. Peter. He got out the last time. He ain't going to get out this time. I love God. Because God don't care about what we do. Sometimes. You know, I'm so thankful that God doesn't care about the stupid things that I've said. That God's forgiven me for. And the stupid things that I've done in my life. You see, God's bigger than the things we've done wrong. We always need to remember that. So notice it says... Everybody was praying for him. Peter's well chained, garrisoned—literally, four uh, groups of soldiers, squads were keeping him. Now behold, that means, hey man, look! An angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and says, and 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 raise him up," saying. Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, "Gird yourself and tie on your sandals." And so he did. And he said to him, "Put on your garment and follow me." So he went out and followed him, and did not know that it was done to him was the by an angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He didn't even know. And by the way, this is interesting here, because people say, well, how do I know if I'm having a vision or not? Well, Peter didn't know if it was vision or real. So evidently visions can be so real, it seems to be what's really happening. And Peter thought that. But in reality, he was being let out of prison. And they were past the first and second guard posts. They came to the iron gate that leads into the city which opened to them of its own accord. Um, automatic gate, first time we find one in the Bible. Keyless entry. I like that. God always invents new things. And it says they, it opened of their own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. Now when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all expectations of the Jewish people. Isn't it weird, the expectations of the Jewish people to see him killed? You see, God's got a different plan. I like that about God. Remember, life with Jesus is never boring. God's always doing something new. And if you find yourself being bored in your Christian experience, all I can tell you is, Lord, open my eyes to see what you want me to do. Man, I'll tell you something, you'll never be bored again. By the way, if you're all alone and there's no one to talk to, start reading your Bible. You'll have people stop by your house, call you on the phone that you haven't talked to for years. Because I believe that oftentimes those things happen to keep us away from God. Well, notice it says, he'd come to himself. I, I think it was probably one of those, whoa, <laughs> minutes. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter is knocking at the door, at the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice because of the gladness. She didn't even open the door of the gate. She ran and announced that Peter uh, was standing before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. You're crazy. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. Now, they believe, Jewish people believed that you had guardian angels. And this was probably his guardian angel. And very possibly had already been executed. And so, therefore, his guardian angel just kind of shows up. Now, remember, Jesus talked about guardian angels. It's, it's not just a Jewish custom, but I believe it's in the Bible. Because even when Satan came, when Jesus had been baptized, led by the wilderness, Satan says to him, he says, the Lord will, will give his angels charge over thee to keep you in all of your ways. Satan said that to Jesus, that the Lord would, would his angels would bury you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. He was quoting out of the Old Testament. And yeah, I do believe we have guardian angels. I know for many of us, we keep our guardian angels working overtime because we do a lot of dumb stuff. You, some of you carpenters standing on the roofs of houses and things like that. I'll tell you something, guarding angels are important. Now, I, I've, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff going on. I watch sometimes some Christian TV, and this one lady has wrote a book on how to see your guardian angel. Stay away from that kind of stuff. Because we're not here to see guardian angels, we're here to see Jesus work on our life. And so it's important that we keep the first thing first. And so it says, this girl is telling everybody he's standing at the door. Now Peter stands out there and continues knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. Wow, God answers prayer. How can this be? It says they were all praying for him. Then he shows up at the door. They don't believe when he shows up at the door. And when he finally comes in the house, they're all astonished. Now, I've had people say, well, unless you have more faith, you won't get your prayers answered. I, I don't see any faith here. They just prayed and God answered. And friends, I'll tell you something. That's great hope for me because I'll tell you, The minute that my Christian, your Christian experience relies on us, we're in trouble. Ain't we? Why? Because we break. We fail. We fall down. Our faith is based in him. And as we studied last week, I am the vine, you're the branches. If the the vine, if, if the branch stays on the vine... It's going to bear fruit. That's all you got to do is hang in there. That's all you have to do. It isn't based on my performance or your performance. What it's based upon is simply God's love for us. If you abide in me, Jesus said, I and you, you'll bear fruit. Now he says, they're astonished. Verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand... To keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James, to the brethren, and departed and went to another place. Now this is not uh, the James was just um, executed back in, in um, verse 2. This is the other James, most likely the brother of Jesus, um, who was a real uh, important part of the early church. And so it says, go tell him. And soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what had become of Peter. And but what, I'll bet so. I thought you were watching him. No, I thought you were watching him. You know, it doesn't matter. When God wants something done a certain way, it's going to get done. And so it says there was no small, small stir. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there, most likely sulking because he didn't get his way. He just got mad and left. Now, it was customary in those days, if you were a guard and you let your prisoner go, whatever the sentence was for that prisoner, whether it was five years in prison or the death sentence, was then commuted upon you as the guard for letting him go. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And actually, uh, uh, his father was as well. But he came to him with one, they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's chamberman, their friend. And they asked for peace. In other words, you're getting food from us. We had a fallout. Look, we, we want to make it up to you, uh, uh, Herod. You, you, you come and, and and we'll we'll work this out now. Now I think this is a little bit of an interesting picture here because eventually your sin catches up. You might skirt it for a while, but it'll eventually catch up to you. And and so it says that this guy, the king's chamberman, Blasphus, a friend, they asked for peace because their country supplied the food, uh, by the king's, um, by the king's uh, country. So on the set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an orative to them. And the people kept shouting, this is the voice of the God, not of man. They were really trying to butter this guy up. And so notice it says, they immediately, and it says the people kept shouting. And then it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Because he did not give glory to God and was eaten by worms and died. According to uh, Josephus's antiquities, uh, five days later. So he didn't last long. Um never never touch God's glory. You know people have called up on to every man and answer and they go, "Oh, we're so blessed by you and your program." I just go, "You thank God." I've learned one thing in the Bible, never touch God's glory. You get in there and start thinking you're the reason for the season. You get in there and start thinking that it's all because of me. The show doesn't start till I get here. Watch out. You want to give glory to God. If anything good, always tell people, hey, they go, man, thank you so much. Well, I just want you to thank the Lord. You know, thank you for bringing me over a dinner. Thank you. Just say, "I no, just thank the Lord. Because that gives glory to God. And that's what we're here for. We're here not to give glory to ourselves, but give it to God. And so it says, he got uh, eaten by worms. I can think of a lot of ways to die. This is not one of the ones ways that I think would be a good way to go. Eaten by worms. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark, at the house where Peter showed up. So when they showed up, there they were. As we look at this, we find that even though Herod tried his best to stop what God was doing, it didn't work, and in fact, God stopped him. And then we find here that, verse 24, that the word of God continued to grow. You see, God's got a plan. I want you to have that plan for your life. Everybody looks different. That's because everybody has a different calling from God. Now, sometimes you'll find there'll be callings that complement one another. That's a great thing. But I can never look and see what other people are doing or what other ministries are doing in order for me to know what I'm supposed to do. It's not a copycat faith. It's fresh. Going to daddy saying, Lord, what will you have me do for you? Now, if you're a Christian, you need to do that. The Bible says daily, what will thou have me to do? Not my will, but yours be done. If you're not a Christian, I can tell you a couple things. Number one, you're wasting your life. Because if you gain the whole world, the Bible says, and lose your own soul, what does it profit you? Again, we don't own anything, friends. We're a heartbeat away from leaving it all to somebody else. And this was even a troubling thing for Solomon when he said, How do I know with the things that I've acquired... When I die, the person that will come after me that will inherit these things will be wise with them or a fool with them. Isn't it interesting that we see people that get an inheritance when grandma or grandpa or mom and dad die, and they get a pretty sizable uh, inheritance, and within two months it's all gone? They just go party hardy, it's all gone. What took their parents, their grandparents, a whole lifetime to accumulate, they can blow in a couple of months. Just shows you how irresponsible people can be. This is what troubled Solomon. So what's important then is you here now, what do you, what would God have you do? And I believe that because we belong to God, we can say, Lord, Lord what will you have me to do? Not my will, yours be done. And I'll tell you something. When we begin to pray that way, our life goes from mundane to exciting because God's got something. His promises are new every morning. And that means God's going to do something with you brand new every single day. And he does. Even those inconvenience. I've shared this many times, but You know, when you say, okay, Lord, today's your day, and I just want to do your will, and you go out, and your car tire's flat. You go, well, that was a great answer to prayer. No, God wants you to talk to the tow truck truck driver, and you would have never talked to him unless you had the flat tire. See, seeing it God's way is so much different. And then at night, when you lay your head on your pillow, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have got that flat tire, but you go, Wow. If it wasn't for that, this wouldn't have happened. Then this wouldn't have happened. And God's got this beautiful mosaic he puts together. And you're just for you. And I go, wow, God, how do you do that? God is bigger. Not only than the things you've done wrong, but God is bigger than life to put you where he wants you to be this morning if you're not a Christian. Your life is not being directed. Your life is full of happenstance and... And terrible things. I just want to encourage you today, get free from your past. Now, you can't do that. You can't drink your way out of it. You can't bong your way out of it. (laughs) You just got to say, okay, Lord, hey, listen, I got to get free. And when you're free for the first time in your life, God begins to do something new in you to bring you into his purpose. Oh, friends, that's a great thing. No longer I live, Paul says, but Christ who lives within me. Hey, listen, one life shouldn't be passed. What's done for Christ will last. Hey, listen, everything else is going to fry, spit, and sizzle. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray. You can ask Christ in your life. As we look at this story about how God delivered Peter, but what's interesting is God did not deliver James. There's no reason or rhyme. Why did God pick one over the other? We do know the church was praying for Peter. But you know, in God's hands, our life is his. You know, there's nothing more than we want to do than fulfill what God's called us to do. And when we're done, let's get out of here. You know, I'm serious. When we've accomplished what God's called us to do, I believe that's when God will take us home if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I think a lot of times God allows extra life for people to turn their life over to God. I have talked to so many people in my life, prayed with them in their 80s and 90s, where uh, they are uh, uh, not a Christian, and they'll accept the Lord, and they'll pray and ask the Lord in their life, and within just days, they've gone to be with the Lord. It's just weird that God allowed them to stay alive that long. But that isn't something I want to do. I don't want God to look at you and me and say, well, you made it. I want when you get to heaven, God God says, well done, good and faithful servants. And all of a sudden, man, God starts stacking crowns on your head so much that you're all humped over. and You're going, Well, oh, that's pretty heavy. No, I want God to have you have a lot of crowns. We want to do what God's called us to do. And I have found in my life I can waste my time doing so many stupid things. And God says, let's do something that's going to last. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life, change you, and, 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 and be divinely protected. And, and again, that's what God wants to do. And then open your eyes to the things around you. That invisible, wonderful Holy Spirit that comes in, lives inside of you, that sensitizes you to others. No longer me, but Lord, what do you want me to do? And you, in the long run, are the one that's blessed. Because you're the vessel that God's pouring through. If you need to pray, you don't want another 10, 10 years like you just had. Let's pray right now and get right with God. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And I want to be your child. And I want to be directed by you in my life. And God, I ask you, please separate me from my past. Separate me from the nightmares and the heartbreak and all the tears and all those things that had been in my life. The uncertainty, God. God. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I believe you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the dead to give me life. And so now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me that sensitivity from your heart. Write my name in your book of life. That I never have to be scared of dying ever again. And Lord, I commit my life now into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. And tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship, live on CSN.
1: This is KAWZ Twin Falls, the
0: Christian Satellite Network.
2: And His train fills the temple I see You, Lord, and You are high and lifted up And Your train fills the temple And I cry home the See Your holiness, and light surrounds Your throne. Who oh. am I to come before You? But now my guilt is gone, my sins are washed.